morning. Today is the first in what will be a three-sermon series on joy. Now, the reason that we're having this series, to be honest, is because I know that a lot of us have been struggling with joy over the last year. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but to be fair, what I really should be saying is this. We're doing this series because I've been struggling over the last year with joy. And I imagine that some of you have struggled in, in similar ways that I have. And my hope is that for those of us that, that have been struggling, that diving into the scriptures and hearing what the Lord has to say to us about joy will be helpful. And for those of you that are doing okay and not really wrestling with, uh, with your joy at all, hopefully this will be a, a way of, of speaking into and preparing you for that day and that time when it comes, when joy does come hard for you. And again, I'll talk more about this next week, but the reason for my struggle has largely been because of the number of things that have been taken away in the last year. From the ability for most of the last year to walk around a store and be able to see and smile at uh, the other people that are, that are there shopping, to being able to hug the people that I care about, to being able to have things like this potluck and share a meal with people that are dear to me. It's been hard. And it's been a struggle with joy. But one of the hardest parts of this is that I'm aware that even in the midst of a pandemic, our lives are pretty good. I mean, we live with more comfort than at any other time in history. I believe we live in the, the greatest nation that we could possibly live in in the world today. And yet it's easy to, and it, and it's easy to look around and see others who have it harder than we do. And yet, still, there's been this struggle with joy. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about what joy is and how to have it. But there's one thing I want to say right here up front at the beginning, and I don't want there to be any confusion about this. As we're talking about joy and as we're challenging ourselves to be more joyful, I want to say a word about those that struggle with depression. Depression seems to be this kind of sadness that sticks. And as I understand it, there's two basic causes for it. And often, both of them are at work at one level or another. One of them is life circumstances, where things are just consistently hard and make you sad, and it just kind of brings you down in a way that sticks. And another has to do with neurotransmitters in your brain, being out of balance, not doing what they're supposed to do. And you can't will yourself out of that. You can't just decide to be more joyful and have that go away. So what I want to make sure of is that no one hears as we're talking about joy these next couple of weeks, that they should feel ashamed if they're struggling with depression. If you are in that place, if depression has a hold, if that sadness that sticks is in your life, I just really want to encourage you to talk to someone about that, to see a counselor, to talk to a friend, to not suffer with that alone. And please don't hear these next couple of weeks that you're doing something wrong because the sadness that sticks has gotten a hold of you. Now, if you looked at the Bible reading plan, you'll notice that this week is full of readings from the book of Philippians. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is that, the, that Philippians is the book in the New Testament that deals most with joy. Philippians is just four short chapters. It's a small book. But about a fifth of the times that joy is mentioned in the New Testament, it's here in the book of Philippians. 
In fact, you can sum up the book of Philippians this way. It seems like the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I rejoice, now you rejoice. And again, if you want to think of one sentence to sum up Philippians, it's that. It's, it's Paul saying, I rejoice, so you rejoice. And that strikes me because Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians from prison. He's not sure, while he's in prison, whether or not he's going to make it out alive. In fact, he, I imagine, wrestled with thinking that it was pretty likely that he wouldn't. And his life's calling to preach the gospel, these churches that he had he had founded, that he had connected with, that he cared for so deeply, this work that the Lord had called him to, his life, all of them seem like they might be about to end. That's not a person in a position that you would expect to be filled with joy. And yet he is. But what I want to do over these next three sermons is to figure out why and to figure out how we can have that same joy for ourselves. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. If you want to pull out your phone and go there, if you want to open your Bible and be ready, or if you just want to listen, that's fine. We're going to read from the NIV, Philippians 1, 3 to 11. Before I read, Josh, could I ask you to go get me a cup of water? Would that be okay? Thank you. Philippians 1, 3 to 11. Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Hmm. Thank you, Josh. I'm sweating enough. I think I got my mouth dry. I apologize. So the first thing I want to do is I want to figure out what does Paul mean here with the word joy? Oftentimes we think about joy and happiness being the same thing. And they're definitely related. They're close. They're cousins, you could say. But they are not the same thing. Happiness is this emotion that seems to be based on circumstances. The things that cause happiness are things outside of us that happen to us, that we are glad for. And it kind of just evokes this positive emotional state. We call it happiness. You get that promotion that you're hoping for at work. You see that person you haven't seen in a long time. This good thing that you've been hoping for and waiting for happens. Or you just kind of wake up one day and you look around and you're like, life is good. That's what happiness is. It's a good thing. I'm not putting happiness down at all. Hopefully we can all live in the midst of happiness. But it is not the same thing as joy. And the reason that that is, is because since it's based on things outside of us, it's inconsistent. You see, anyone who's 
been through a lot of life knows that there are times that you're up. You're on the mountaintops. Things seem to be going well, but also there are times when you're low, when you're in the valley, when things are hard. Happiness comes and goes with the ups and downs, but joy, joy is consistent. Joy is deeper, and it's much, much better. You see, joy comes from remembering the story that we're part of. It's internal. It's something that happens when our heart accepts and grabs hold of the gospel, the story that we're part of. The story that tells us that we have a Father in heaven that loves us, that created everything that there is and loves that creation created us and loves us so much that when we rebelled, and I don't just mean humanity a long time ago, I mean that for each and every one of us today. When we rebel against him, when we reject him, he does not write us off. He doesn't say, well, then I'm just going to start over, undo that, and start anew. Instead, he says, I love you, and he makes a way for us to be redeemed. And in fact, we see this happen in our own lives over and over again. Despite believing, knowing that he's there, that he loves us, we find ourselves rejecting him. And so what God did thousands of years ago was decide to show us his love for us in such a loud way that it could never be denied, in a way that overcomes those rejections by sending his son, born as a baby in a manger, you know the story. God taking on flesh. 100% God and 100% human. Together, both are true. A baby born poor. Not where you would expect God to be born. Not in a mansion, not in a castle, not among the wealthy and the elite. But among the animals. With a mother who is probably a young teenager. And a father who worked with wood in a place where there wasn't much wood to work with. Very, very, very poor. And he grew up in this world that, that was without so many of the privileges and comforts that we take for granted today. And then as he grew up and he began his ministry, he, he lived and taught in such a way to show us what it's like when you accept God as your, as your father, when you are adopted into his family, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's like, it's like being blind for your whole life. And then someone comes, puts their hand on you, and you can see. It's like, it's like being unable to walk for 30 years outside of a pool that if only you could get there on your own in the mornings, you'd be healed. But you can't, over and over and over again, the frustration, the sadness, the hopelessness, and then one day a man comes along, heals you, and you can walk. It's like a person who has a disease on their skin called leprosy that cuts them off from everybody and everyone that they care about, being touched by someone for the first time in so long, and being made clean. It's like 5,000 men and their families coming to hear him teach. 
and all they have to eat is some fish and a few loaves of bread. But as it passes around, there's such an abundance that everybody eats their fill. They have their Thanksgiving dinner. They're full for the first time, many of them ever. What is, what is it like when we accept him as our Lord and Savior? It's like life coming, overflowing, conquering death. And then to show us exactly what it was like. He, the innocent one, the good one, the one who had never sinned or done a thing wrong, allowed himself to be taken, tortured, and killed for us. Us who are the ones that have rejected the Lord. Us who are the ones who struggle to, to follow, to accept a command from a God who created us. And then, after he died, Three days later, he showed us that, that that power of death, that power of sin, held no power over him as he walked out of the grave to show us that life conquers death. That there is a hope for life and eternity, and that that hope can be ours if we follow him. You see, joy is what happens when this story that we're part of sinks in. Joy is what happens when we live as though we know and remember that we are a part of this story. We are following the Lord who gives us life. Joy is what happens when that gets down into the crevices of our insides and changes us. There's this passage in Revelation chapter 5 that talks about that day when Jesus will come back. And it's an amazing picture in Scripture. The picture is that there are thousands upon thousands. In fact, if you look at it literally, it, the numbers add up to be about a hundred million angels, all singing, all praising the Lord. And then Jesus comes back. This is looking to the future when Jesus comes back and he sits down on the throne. Joy is what happens when you know that you're living in that story and you remember it. Because then what happens is the other circumstances in your life, the things that are hard in your day-to-day, -day, when you have that picture in mind and you live in light of it, what can a bad day do to you? What can hardship do to you when you belong to the Lord, the one who gives life, who conquers death, who will reign forever? That's what joy is. Joy is what happens when the gospel works its way inward. And now this is amazing. What Paul talks about in Philippians 1 is that while joy is this internal awareness of the gospel, it's sort of stoked or, or fanned into flame or made brighter by blessings, whether the blessings happen to us or happen to others that we care about, that we love. Paul says this. He says that he's thankful for the Christians in Philippi that their faith and their friendship triggers that joy in him. And it causes this sort of rebound that wells up. Look at verses 3 to 6 in the passage we just read in Philippians 1. I thank my God every time I remember you, he says. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. That word is also fellowship. You're, you're co-working in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, I have this joy, and it's sparked, it's fanned into flame when I think 
of the fact that God is at work, not just in me and through me, but also in all of you whom I care about and love so deeply. And that causes this welling up of joyfulness in me. And then he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, because I know what story we're part of, when I think of you, and when I see what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through and around you, it wells up inside of me. And despite the fact that I'm in prison, despite the fact I can't do the things that I've given my life to, despite the fact I go through hardship after hardship, my experience is joy because of how much the Lord has blessed all of us. And I see him at work through you. And that wells this joy up within me. And you know this isn't based on, on his external circumstances. You see in verses 7 and, and following, it says this, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, I have this joy, and that's right. Because, because whether I'm doing it or not, whether I'm where I want to be or would like to be or not, whether I'm experiencing hardship or not, any of that, all of you are, are sharing in God's grace with me. We are sharing in it together, blessed by Him together, part of the same family. And that stokes this joy within him. What could chains ever do to Paul when he knows who his Lord is, what his Lord is doing, and where his Lord is taking him? This is what joy is for the Apostle Paul. There's a, a, a church father that's a hero of mine. His name is Ignatius of Antioch. And he's one of the very first church fathers that we know of in history. Uh, so there's three of the real early leaders of the church, and, and he's one of them. In about 108 A.D., he was bishop of Antioch, and he was arrested. And he has to go this long way, this long way in chains, to go to the Colosseum, where he's going to be executed. And it's a long, long journey. And while he's undergoing this, he's allowed to write letters and so what he does is he writes these letters to various churches, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to, to churches that we've heard of in the New Testament. And he writes these encouraging letters to them because he knows that his life is coming to the end and he thinks to himself, what can I do with my last days? What's more worthwhile than to write encouragements to the other believers who share in the grace that I share in as well? And one of the things that strikes me as I read these letters about this man who is going to certain death is over and over and over again in his letters, he talks about his joy. Now, one of the things that's been hard is to think about how I've struggled to find joy in the midst of a pandemic because I can't go all the places I want to go without a mask, right? I try to imagine what it must have been like to travel by wagon slowly to your death where you're going to be eaten and to somehow desire to express joy 
And what Ignatius says is this. He says, For let us either fear what is to come, or let us love this present joy that we are found in Christ Jesus, and that in him we may truly live. Do not at any time desire so much as even to breathe apart from him. For he is my hope, he is my boast, he is my never-failing riches, on whose account I bear these bonds from Syria to Rome, these spiritual jewels. He's able to call his shackles spiritual jewels, because in them he sees an opportunity for joy. He says, and as I'm wearing them, through your prayers I can be made more like our perfect Lord, and partake of the sufferings of Christ, and have fellowship with him in his death, his resurrection from the dead, and his everlasting life. In other words, he's saying, my life is coming to an end soon. And still I feel joy because I know who my Lord is and I know the story I'm part of. He says, the gospel has worked its way deep in my heart. And the things that happen to me cannot rob me of that joy. I read that and I think, my goodness. I want the gospel to seep into my heart like that. I'm reminded when I, when I visit with some of our, our seniors shortly before they go to meet the Lord, there's a common theme that occurs. And the common theme is when I ask them how they're doing, sometimes I'll ask them if they're afraid. The answer is almost always no. Because I know where I'm going. There's such fear for many of us when we, when we go through this life and we think, about, we think about death or we think about things not going the way we want to or we think about some crisis or other. But, but these saints that live their lives in the Lord are transformed by the power of the gospel. And then in those moments leading up to the end, they're able to say, I'm ready. I'm not afraid. That's what joy looks like. That's what we're all called to aspire to become. People that are able to live in the midst of any circumstance and say, you know what? Still I have joy. Because I know the story I'm part of. Because the gospel has worked its way deep into my bones. Because I know that regardless of what happens, None of the things that matter most can be changed. That's what it means for us to live with joy. So my challenge to you this week, I have a few of them. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to read the book of Philippians and to read it twice this week. Go through and just look at all the things Paul has to say about joy. It happens over and over. Sixteen times in Philippians, he mentions joy. And then I want to encourage you to do this too. To identify the things that make you struggle with joy. Is it fear? Is it grief? Is it pain? Is it wishing that things were other than they are? Is it lost opportunities? Is it a worry about the future? What are the things that make it hard for you to experience joy.
Is it when someone causes you to be inconvenienced? Is it a petty, small thing? That is the case for many of us. Sometimes it is such a small thing that robs us of joy because the gospel has not yet seeped down into our bones. But identify, what is it that steals that joy from you? What circumstance takes that hope, that delight in the gospel in that moment from you? I want to encourage you to identify and then ask the Lord for help. Ask Him to make that story sink in. To let it be the song and cry of your heart. I belong to the Lord Jesus, the conqueror of death, the giver of life, the one who has promised that I will be with Him forever, and nothing that happens to me can ever take that away. And be blessed by that. And as we go through these, series, these sermons on joy, I want to challenge you. If you are a person who struggles, if you're someone who sometimes feels joyless, if you're someone that when you, when you take an honest look within yourself, joy is not what you see. If you're someone that the people around you don't know you as a joyful person, because Paul commands us to be joyful. Philippians 4.4, the third, the third passage we're going to go through in this series, he, he commands, rejoice. We say it again, rejoice. It's something that is supposed to characterize us. It's something that people are supposed to be able to look at and see in us. Joy. And if you struggle there, I want these three weeks to be a time for you to ask the Lord for help. And to see if he can lead you down into a path of deeper, abiding, unshakable joy in the Lord. My hope is that it will be as big of a blessing to you as preparing for it has been for me. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful. And we praise you, Lord, for you are good. And Lord, we repent of those times and we forget the story that we're part of. That our problems, our struggles, our difficulties, they eclipse our joy. And Lord, we ask for your help to help us in those moments of spiritual amnesia. When we forget who we are and who we are in you. Remind us, Lord, of the truths that matter most. That we belong to you. That you will always be faithful. And Lord, help us to see past the struggles, the trials, the difficulties, the pain, the grief, the sorrow, the fear. And to fix our eyes and our hearts on you so that we can never be moved. We pray these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.